Saludos and salutations, Broncos country, and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I'm your host, Adan Diaz, and joining me, as always, to my right is my co-host, at Richie, Richie, Richie. How you doing tonight, my friend? I'm good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Rich. Thank you. And I say that with as much positive energy as I can because, I mean, as you and I were talking about before the show, you know, we're still reeling over the, you know, the gigantic news that hit Broncos country yesterday. And we're going to talk about it in just a little bit about uh, the trade that happened with Von Miller to the Los Angeles Rams. So guys, before we get uh, get going on today's episode, just want to remind you guys to make sure you hit that subscribe button and hit all those like buttons wherever you're watching us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Please help us get the show off the road. And thanks to you guys, we've hit over 400 subscribers on YouTube and that number is still continuing to grow. So we would like to thank you guys <clears throat> for every single pledge that you've given this network. So just to remind you guys that if you like the show, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and just realize that it's not just Broncos talk here on the MHRT network. We also have the MHRT podcast, the flagship show, which airs every single Thursday at 7654. And we also have the Nothing Rhymes With podcast that airs every Friday at 7654. And we also have the very new pregame show, The Neighborhood, which airs just before every single Broncos game. And that airs uh, yeah, like I said, before every single Broncos game. So make sure you guys hit that notification button, subscribe, and hit that uh, so you never miss out on any single show. And you're always kept up to all the up-to-date news that's related with all things to do Broncos. So, <clears throat> Rich, with that being said, you know, obviously we're going to get to talk about the Washington game uh, and the victory that finally the Broncos have broken their four-game losing streak. But I, I kind of feel that, uh, you know, we need to start talking about uh, Von Miller. And uh, obviously, you guys, if you were in tune yesterday, we had uh, an emergency podcast show uh, with Bree and uh, Zach Seegers. Uh, shout out to those guys. Thank you guys for uh, coming on and joining uh, Glenn, the, the boss, Von Dungus, and myself. And, you know, we kind of just let our feelings out on, out on the table and you know just sleeping on it i kind of feel like you know at the end of the day guys we have to understand that the nfl is a business the denver broncos themselves are a business and we've said it on on this network before that we need to cheer for the names in the front not just for the names on the back you know and while it is painful to lose a, a person of von miller's caliber I can understand it because I'm a huge Von Miller fan myself. I've been a fan of his ever since I saw him step on the field. And he really was the franchise of the Denver of the Denver Broncos. He was the face of the defense. He was the heart and soul of that defense for so many years. And with him gone, it 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 it, it kind of it's something that you don't really want to believe, but you kind of have to accept that maybe it was for the better because we all know that Vaughn was going to be a free agent at the end of the year and it wasn't for sure if he was going to resign with the with the Broncos although he's always said that he wanted to be a Broncos for life so that statement would have been put to the test had he made it to the end of the season with his team and I just think that there's something that probably happened behind the scenes and anything that you hear or read is speculation at this point so I'm I'm not gonna say anything because I I don't know what happened, but 
it just it, it's something that we have to learn to kind of understand and kind of have to move on and and hey who knows maybe he could find his way back to play one more snap as a football player and not you know uh come back and do one of those one day retirement things and, and retire uh, but we just need to uh, you know it, it's business forward it's you know next man up it's just trying to get through the rest of the season as best we can rich I agree, and and I think the the Vaughn, I, I think for m- many fans that they kind of see Vaughn as, if not Champ Bailey first, but Va- Vaughn certainly as being a, a Ring of Fame type uh, type caliber player. Although I think that this is a reasonable time to discuss, not here on on the pod, but I think just for all of us to think about as fans, uh, what bar uh, we we would want to set for the Ring of Fame, because if you set too low of a bar, then you know, the really good get in, not just the great. And I do think that Von Miller certainly uh, qualifies along with uh, players like Peyton Manning, for example, as being uh, one of uh, the Broncos all-time greats. So, I mean, that is certainly a loss to our team. I, I do question personally whether or not Von Miller may or may not have had a conversation, obviously clear speculation on my part with the front office, where he may have indicated to them that, uh, uh, he was not interested in re-signing uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the season. Obviously, given his age, and it is clear uh, that our team is going to be in a bit of a, a rebuild mode for a few years. Vaughn realizes that he is not a spring chicken, pun intended, uh, any longer, and uh, and then he only has so many years left uh, to put out top and high quality football. Now, given the trade that was made this season, though. It is really, really interesting the way that it's structured is we we keep uh, Vaughn's salary, at least uh, nine million of it and 700,000 uh, is uh, earmarked over for the Rams uh, to uh, own. And we get a second and third round pick back in return uh, that are non-conditional from the Rams for the 2022 draft. That said, the Rams are not obligated to re-sign Vaughn to a big contract at the end of the year. So it is possible that if Vaughn gets that second ring that I'm sure someone of his caliber is is ultimately seeking, it is not out of the realm of possibilities where he could still make good on his commitment and promise to Broncos country that he would return. Obviously the fan in me is saying, I really hope that happens. However, I do think that Vaughn, if, even if he gets a ring this season, may well seek another contending team uh, just because having three rings is obviously better than two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I totally agree. But guys, you know, just to kind of keep this uh, segment not going too long on it, uh, gonna uh, pull up a comment here from our good friend Dave Glassman who says, Peyton is a businessman that made a business decision. End of story, painful as it may be. Agreed. And that's exactly the point I was going to make, Dave, before you uh, mentioned it. And this sounds like it sounds like a broken record. I've been saying it almost every single podcast, Rich. But, you know, the, this GM, he's not like Elway. You know, when Elway likes somebody, he keeps them no matter how bad or mediocre they may be. But George Payton is not John Elway. He's he's seeing who's good, who he can get rid of or, or not get rid of, but trade. And, you know, in, in a way, he's kind of doing what uh, John Gruden did with the Raiders when he first took over, you know, just 
it's just stacking draft picks, you know? Yeah, so. just to interject, though, there's no way that Ellis and Elway did not greenlight this trade. Oh, no, agreed. Um, Von Miller is that guy for the Broncos franchise. You know, it, it's the equivalent of Irsay having to give the sign-off sign when the Colts uh, were, were willing to let go of Manning uh, in order to, to go after Luck, right? Mm-hmm. When you get to a certain level of or caliber of player on on any team, I mean, in many cases, it goes all the way to the owner to say, you know, are we cool? Are we, you know, yeah. is, are we all right here? Because I mean, the last thing, there's no way that a GM would be given authority to get rid of certain players, and I suspect that there may even be um, either written agreements or verbal agreements between the GM and even ownership for certain players on every roster. Uh, I would use Aaron Donald on the Rams as an example of one of those players, perhaps, uh, on the Rams roster currently. Uh, you know, And there's other players on other teams that would fit into that, Tom Brady and the Bucks, uh, so on and so forth. No, I totally agree. And, you know, all we can do, guys, is just be happy for Von Miller. And I say that because over the last 24 hours, I've just seen so many comments on social media about people you know, obviously they're passionate. They love who Von Miller, who Von Miller was as a Bronco, as a person. And they decided to, to kind of just give up on the team just because they traded him away. So to those people, I, I just say, you know, you might have to, you might want to rethink who you decide to give your support to, because that just screams out bandwagon, you know? And when people start seeing you more as a bandwagon fan instead of more as a diehard fan, they tend to not take you seriously because they just figure to see you going into, you know, wherever, whatever the popular player mood or team is. So, you know, to, I just say pick a team, support them all the way through the good and the bad. And like Rich said, who knows, maybe Von Miller can find his way back to the Denver Broncos in the in the near future before he decides to hang his cleats up but all the love i I agree at the end of the day though um we lost four straight i I mean it's it's a simple fact we lost four straight good teams stay competitive with other good teams and we did not so i think ultimately at the end of the day george payton is looking at the compensation that we got back for vaughn Getting an extra three and an extra two helps get our team back on track because it is clear that this team is not just a, a quarterback away or, or a you know a, a freak athlete away from getting back to relevance. We need more help on this team, particularly on the interior of the defensive line and on the, I'd argue, the interior and just offensive line in general. And we are not going to be able to get quality caliber players unless you stack those upper tier draft picks in the first and second round, which is where you're going to find the most high quality or high caliber players at those types of positions that we need on our team. Agreed. And uh, Rich and I would just like to say, you know, thanks to Vaughn for the 11 years he, he spent here as a Bronco. Thanks for the Super Bowl championship and, you know, best of luck to him out in L.A. Uh, so with that, guys, you know, we're going to move on and, you know, kind of change the theme and lift up the spirits around Broncos country now. And that's just talk about the win against the Washington football team and something that's kind of been uh, kind of 
getting under my skin, especially today, Rich, is just the fact that it's a lot of people are kind of looking down on the Broncos over a win. And it's kind of like, I don't really understand why. And I'm saying that people who aren't Broncos fans, you know, outside of Broncos country right. looking in. Because if the Broncos would have lost, it, it's those same people who would have just turned around and started bad-mouthing, you know, the Broncos, telling them they should have a fire sale, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. So I don't really understand what it is that people want from this team. And what I read certain articles uh, on where the Broncos rank in power rankings, you know, they say we're rebuilding. Other other people are saying we're reloading. Other people are just saying we're, we're a mediocre team. You know, Teddy's not the answer. Von Miller, uh, trading Von Miller was one of the best decisions George Payton could have made. I mean, there's just so many narratives flying everywhere from everybody outside Broncos country. And they kind of, and it kind of sucks because the, the defense in that game, Rich, was finally pumped up. They were ready to play. They came out to play. Justin Simmons had two interceptions in that game. It was fantastic to see him out there. We got a blocked, uh, a blocked a field goal attempt by Shelby Harris. Draymond Jones finally got some pressure in. Malik Reed had a hell of a game as well. I mean, the defense was humming. Kenny Young played really good inside linebacker. Same thing with Baron Browning. I mean, it was just a defense that was on point, you know, and it's basically the defense we wanted to see since the very beginning of, well, let's say week four after the, 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 the three wins. That's the defense we wanted to see, you know, and obviously it sucks that we're, we lost Bryce Callahan, at least to short term IR, but he's going to have to miss out at least three weeks. But I can I mean, this was a win that the Broncos needed going into this coming week against the Cowboys, which Rich and I are going to talk about later on in this episode. But Rich, I just need to, to tell people out there to not look down on this team because even though things are not looking great, I kind of feel that this defense, especially the defense, is, is far from you know throwing in the towel. The offense... They really struggled in this game, Rich. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, his numbers have not really improved that much. No. The running backs, as you as we talked about before the show, they had two fumbles. The offense almost gave this game away, Rich, and it was the defense that made sure that this team walked away with a win. Right. So I think we saw a few interesting things on defense, and I, I think we saw a few concerning things on defense. Um, one, was, was Kenny Young not just a breath of fresh air at the inside linebacker position very I much mean, so I, I i let's put it this way i can't remember the last time where i'm sitting watching a game and my one of my first comments from watching the game is and that's how you play inside linebacker <laughs> i mean <laughs> um then again I, i'm, a, I'm a, a kind of a bit of a different football fan i, I like the lines and i like like the, the gritty positions that's just because that's the style that i like playing but Nonetheless, we have a disciplined inside linebacker in Kenny Young. As a Broncos fan, I'm ecstatic that we have a guy like him on the team, and I thought he played a really good game. I think he can obviously still improve. He's still learning everything. Heck, he just came midweek. So, I mean, we, we, we have to you know, level set our expectations a little bit there. He comes from a very similar defensive scheme, or at least a close defensive scheme from uh, the Rams. And I also think we saw some promising things from Baron Browning. Again, he hasn't seen the field much. 
we, you know, so relatively kind of new inside linebackers for us. So I hope to see them grow. And frankly, what I really hope to see is Baron Browning be able to get rid of these injuries. He was pulled off the field uh, throughout that game uh, against the Washington football team. Uh, he needs to find a way to stay healthy and stay on the field because I think he can be one of our answers at the middle linebacker position. And frankly, I'd love to see Kenny Young back. Uh, he is he is one heck of a player. Um, moving on to the other positions, though, and I completely agree with your comments about what I was mentioning at the beginning of the show with our running backs, uh, you know, fumble one and fumble two. We also had um, some other things on special teams where uh, Draymond Jones was able to get a pop on a uh, blocked uh, punt or, or field goal, rather. And Shelby Harris was able to do that as well. And that is not the first time Shelby Harris has done that this season. So that is, I think, blocked field goal number two for Shelby Harris. And it's kind of scary that that's effectively what we've come to expect from Shelby Harris uh, as, as, as Broncos fans. That seems to be one of the things that, uh, you know, he's just good at. He's able to read certain things and, and, uh, and play a certain way. And that's what we paid him that money for. And frankly, I hate to say it for the first few weeks of the season, uh, he was rather underwhelming on our, uh, on our defense and he's now started to really step it up and, that's what we need from veteran leadership, uh, particularly in someone like Shelby Harris, especially now that Von Miller is no longer with us. Yeah. And, you know, as great as the defense was, Rich, as I said at the end of my little rant there, uh, the offense was just, I mean, this was an offense that should have took advantage of a depleted Washington defense. I mean, the fact that that, you know, kudos to our offensive line for limiting uh, the damage that could have been done by Chase Young and that, you know, that defensive, that front, that front de Washington defense that last season was just totally wrecking offensive lines, Rich. And, you know, just limiting Chase Young to just that one play where he caused that fumble by Melvin Gordon, I think was a big win. Now, going forward, it is it is uh we have to watch garrett bowles going forward because he did suffer a high ankle sprain so he is ruled out for this coming sunday against the, the cowboys but thankfully it's the left tackle position where calvin anderson is a lot stronger whereas if it was right tackle where bobby massey is i think we'd have been in some really big trouble especially even though the cowboys do not have uh, demarcus lawrence their their pass rush is is still nothing to to overlook especially with the rehaul that dan quinn has done but i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself uh but Can kudos I jump into some of the things you were just saying there because i think they're super important yeah. um i i said that on on a couple of the other pods uh and am i the only one that's excited to see calvin anderson in a left tackle uh i mean I, I thought when he stepped in for us in the past few games when he was in for Garrett Bowles, I thought he did incredibly well for us. And in some respects, dare I say, I actually thought he outplayed Garrett Bowles in certain aspects, not overall, but in certain aspects. And then the question you have to ask yourself is, is if we start seeing sparks with Anderson in there, and if we do feel that we can maybe start to build momentum off of these games, maybe we hold Bulls out longer if Anderson's able to start stacking better play. I do want to push back a little bit on some of your previous comments about our ability to stave off the uh, defensive line from the Washington football team. Uh, I actually thought that we were beaten pretty badly, uh, particularly on the left-hand side of the offensive line. Uh, Garrett Bowles struggled a fair amount uh, in that game. He had a few good plays, don't get me wrong. However, 
I think there was a fair number of plays where he struggled with a, a certain number of moves. Lloyd Cushenberry was a, another just... I shuddered every time I see it. I saw a few plays. <laughs> it was bad. And uh, the, the one that's been the most disappointing for me, though, is uh, Dalton Reisner. Um, I, I was just re-watching portions of the game uh, over the course of today, and there was multiple plays where Reisner could have given Teddy Bridgewater high fives as he was being pushed back past him. That is a problem. You cannot have your guard get pushed that far back into a quarterback. As a matter of fact, we saw uh, Cushenberry get pushed back into Teddy Bridgewater, and that's why he tripped, because Cushenberry's foot was on Teddy's foot, and Teddy tried to pull back, and he couldn't get his foot out, and he tripped backwards, and that uh, basically blew up the play. Very much agreed. And uh, shout out to Vertanzi Therapy, who is doing a good job keeping our Broncos players uh, healthy and you know stretch out and i'm pretty sure that our good friend mario is gonna have garrett Bowles all fixed up and put back out there on the field in no time uh but uh, you know what i didn't look at the o-line that in, in intensively rich so i didn't see those specific plays although when i watch it back after this podcast i definitely will look for those uh moments but hopefully calvin anderson you know while i do i do like what he does I, I just don't like when he comes in because that means that Garrett Bowles isn't in the game, you know. So uh, hopefully uh, Garrett Bowles isn't dealing with something super serious that keeps him out a long time. Uh, but there's a comment here that uh, I wanted to get to, Rich, here from our, our good viewer, uh, Bobby Krauts, who jumps in and says, a win's thank a win. For joining us. Yes, thank you, sir. Feel the fact that they almost gave away at the end is really getting to the fans. Just kind of falling back on all past coaching decisions. Players as well need to step up big time. Game was pretty ugly altogether. And Bobby, you're not wrong on that fact. This is something that Rich and I were talking about before the show. And that's just basically that the coach, the Broncos coaching decisions almost gave this game away. And if the Washington defense was just a step, would have been a step quicker, they could have been put in a position where their offense could have either tied the game or went for a field goal and it would have would have just given them a chance for a comeback. And that, unfortunately, falls at the feet of this coaching. And as much as we as Broncos fans, Rich, want to believe that the coaching is going to get better, that Vic Fangio is going to wake up and, you know, coach better, or that Pat Shermer is going to open up a piece of the playbook that he probably has never opened ever since he became a part of this Broncos staff, every time they go out there, you just don't see it happening. I mean, just a week before, we were running so many tight... Uh, 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 screenplays and in this game we only ran like not even half of what we ran before so I mean it, 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 I don't know what the hell's going on and there's another comment here from Jay Bryan who says Sobert and Albert O are better than Fant and can I, can I jump in on that one yeah go ahead <clears throat> Yeah. Um, so if we're talking about in this offense I, I completely agree now if we're talking overall I think Albert O is certainly developing to be a sneaky, sneaky, uh, talented tight end in this league because I don't think he's getting the same national kind of accolades that a guy like Fant got just due to his draft status. But when you look at Albert O and how he's developed, he's developed into a well above average blocker. And is he ever one gifted pass catching tight end? When he came into the league, he was known for his pass catching abilities and his kind of size to speed ratio, which was just off the charts. Because Alberto is actually larger than Noah Fant. 
uh, which I mean, I don't think a lot of people fully understand. I mean, those are two big dudes <laughs> um, and uh, and they can boogie. They can move right down the field. But Albert O has really developed and leveraged his size and uh, clearly improved his blocking technique over the course of this offseason. And he really, really needs to be given credit for that. And I think that's part of the reason why you kept on hearing that Noah Fant was getting um, really kind of called out by guys like Von Miller and other guys that are are, are seasoned veterans and have proven to be winners in the league by saying, dude, look at the size of you, like at least make an effort. And, and those are the, the general that's the general feedback that we kept on hearing from the locker room when it came to Noah Fant. And if you want to see a really good example of where Noah Fant could have done something and didn't, our previous game against the uh, Cleveland Browns, on the left-hand side of the field, Noah Fant had lined up on the left, and he ran out to the left. A, a free runner came on the left-hand side of the line that uh, could have been chipped by Noah Fant before coming into Teddy Bridgewater. That runner was able to come all the way around the backside without being touched, and it resulted in a, uh, a blown-up play. And uh, that's just one example of several where the tight end really needs to leverage their size, speed, and their ability to just even chip to give our quarterback an extra second to be able to turn to the left and throw a pass and not just run your route. You know, you hear the uh, a bunch of individual contractors out there, the Shannon Sharp line from uh, Undisputed. I know uh, you and I are both fans of that show, uh, Six Foot Ten. Mm-hmm. That's an example of an independent contractor out there. I ran my route, I did what I was supposed to do, but the extras, the stuff that you do to really develop the play, he didn't do, and I think that's a good example of one. Yeah, and let's not forget, guys, that in this scheme, Pat Shermer prefers to use Noah Fant as a blocker because his blocking ability is better than, I would imagine, what Saubert and Albert O can can do in terms of, you know... Saubert's an excellent blocker. Yeah, he's an excellent blocker, but for some reason... Uh, he decides to use Fant more as a blocking. So when you do see Fant on plays, he mostly blocks. And when he goes out for runs, unfortunately, Bridgewater doesn't seem to have enough time to, you know, look out and see where Fant is on the field to try to make him, to try to give him the ball. So it's usually one of those two things that are really hurting Fant's uh, chances at, at getting the ball. And it really sucks because before Pat Shermer came to Denver, we didn't have that issue. You know, Drew Locke and Noah Fant were finding each other almost every single game. And Noah Fant just looked to be like the next big, big thing in Denver along with with Drew Locke. So that just goes to show you how going from one playbook to another makes a giant difference and can really affect a player's psyche. You know, and in Drew Locke's case, it, it got him benched and had they had to bring in another quarterback. So, right. you know, hopefully going forward, uh, next season, if the Broncos uh, front office does decide to move on from Vic Fangio and God hoping Pat Shermer, that they bring in somebody who knows how to utilize what they have and not just keep them, you know, just sitting on the bench or using them in certain plays or positions that A, they're not accustomed to and B, it's not their strong suit. And instead of, you know, pushing uh, the person they're supposed to be pushing or doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're getting pushed back or they're messing up and putting the quarterback in compromising positions. So the one thing I do want to bring up in terms of the offensive play calling that we're seeing, and, and maybe we're going to see it against the Cowboys, maybe not, who, who knows? I think this all depends on on what the team believes we can do collectively as a whole, or perhaps moreover, if Pat Shermer is maybe nudged out the way and told what to run instead of having choice in terms of what he runs. What we saw last year 
was a bit of modest carryover or a hybrid almost in terms of our uh, offensive blocking scheme where we would see pulling guards. So we'd end up seeing Dalton Reisner uh, come all the way from the left-hand side of the line and then block to the outside right of the line. And that really uh, is a strong suit for Dalton Reisner, actually. He actually blocked really well and performed at a very high level in, in that type of a role, which was also a much more a much more similar skill set to what he was able to demonstrate in his best year as a Denver Bronco, uh, which was when Scangarello was our offensive coordinator, where, I mean, we were all praising Dalton Reisner for his, uh, his play on the field. The other offensive scheme that Shermer has seemingly just completely gone away from, and it just boggles my mind, not only the pulling guards, which is also a Munchak-style uh, offense as well, which is the flanking tight ends on, on the left-hand side of the left of the left tackle and on the right-hand side of the right tackle. That opens up a whole bunch of other plays in the playbook, and instead Shermer has opted in recent weeks to stack both tight ends to the far right-hand side of the line. And I don't know if he thinks it's fooling anyone, because it sure isn't working. And, uh, and and I think that he needs to revert back to what we saw being so successful in either preseason this year or even last year when Drew started playing better. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget, guys, before we go on to the next comment here, that Fant is on the COVID list he is, as yeah. of today. So he could be out of action if he does not pass a COVID test for the next two weeks. Uh, but before, uh, I wanted to get to this question here, Rich, by our, our good viewer, uh, Jay Bryan. Who says, I'd like your opinions on if you think we 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 see what you can do since there's no tomorrow with Teddy. We have Drew under contract next year. Now, this is an interesting thing here, Brian, because going up to today's deadline, I really thought the Broncos were either going to try to shop Teddy Bridgewater or if they even could get something for Drew Locke. Because there are some pretty quarterback hungry teams out there, you know, New Orleans being one of them. It'll be interesting to see if they can if they're going to roll the dice with Trevor Simeon for the remainder of the season. Now, remember, Simeon was a Bronco before he was anything else. Did he and not look good? He had his moments. He did look good, but unfortunately, the coaching didn't really help him uh, get to certain levels that he could have gotten as a Bronco. I agree. So, I honestly thought that maybe George Payton would have called new orleans and said hey what would you like for maybe not so much bridgewater but you know for drew lock and the broncos if they could have shipped drew lock anywhere to any other team they would have just bumped brett Rippin up to quarterback number two agreed and unfortunately that didn't happen so to be to answer your question though brian at this point i don't really see one of those quarterbacks over the other if you if you start drew lock over teddy bridgewater it's not going to make the offense better overnight because unfortunately when we when we did see Drew Locke go on the field against the Ravens and we were expecting him to, you know, kind of go out there and put on a show, you know, show everybody that they benched the wrong guy. It didn't happen. It went the other way and it just didn't work out. So and and, and Teddy Bridgewater, ever since his, his that third that third win against the, uh, the, the Jets has just kind of regressed. And he, it, to me, it looks like he's almost playing even worse than when he was with Carolina last year. And their offensive line was was not as good as what he has now, I would dare say. So I just think that it doesn't really matter who's under center because both of those guys are being coached by Pat Shermer. And Pat Shermer doesn't change the scheme for one quarterback over the other. No. Now, if he would have done that for Drew Locke on that Ravens game, I honestly think that Julak would have stood a better chance at winning that game. Then we'd be talking. But unfortunately, Pat Shermer does not change. He doesn't really care. As long as somebody says hike and catches the ball and throws it, that's all Pat Shermer cares about. 
So I'm actually really surprised we didn't move Drew. I mean, what's clear to me is that the coaching staff, uh, almost from the get-go uh, of this season, you know, there, there was a competition of sorts, but it certainly seemed that what they saw from Teddy Bridgewater's leadership very early on basically negated Drew Locke really from potentially winning that competition as soon as they got him into the building. And I think George Payton, uh, probably after speaking to a few people within the Broncos, Broncos building, intentionally and actively sought after uh, bringing in uh, Drew Law, or sorry, Teddy Bridgewater uh, for those leadership qualities, which makes total sense. I understand, like you want to be able to keep that locker room together, and the best way to do that is is through leadership, particularly at the quarterback position. So since we've already moved on or had already moved on and kind of seemingly had Teddy inserted into that role, I, I realize you want a competent backup, but I actually felt Brett looked. A, pretty good when he came into that Jets game. I don't think the offensive line really did him many favors. And on top of that, um, I actually think that when you look at Brett Rippon and Teddy Bridgewater, um, they are super, super similar quarterbacks in terms of their, their style. They both make at-line adjustments. They both read defenses, and they effectively adjust accordingly to try and put themselves and the team in the best positions to make plays. So I'm quite surprised that we didn't try to move uh, Drew, especially considering it, what is readily apparent now in particular is we're attempting to stack some some mid to high draft picks. So even if you're only able to get a fourth maybe for Drew, that still gives you some reasonable draft capital to you know package together to try and uh, you know really get quality players on this team for next season. Yeah, and uh, before we move on to our next segment, we got another question here, Rich, and maybe we can answer it real quick uh, from our good friend Johnny Baki, host of the uh, Nothing Rhymes with Orange and Blue podcast, who says, question for both of you, who is a single individual player at any position on any team, either free agent or trade, that the Broncos should pursue with our cap space and draft capital in the next offseason? And you know what? I've been thinking about this mostly all day, especially towards the end of yesterday's episode, Johnny. And it's been it's being speculated that the Broncos are going to try to hit swing for either an Aaron Rodgers, who is has not hit in any of his uh, problems with the Packers or Russell Wilson, who's also not happy with the Seahawks organization. Now, with Von Miller gone, it doesn't sound like Russell Wilson would be interested in coming to Denver, to be honest with you, Johnny, because uh, I just don't think that there's enough here to kind of sway him to get him to stay um, unless the coaching changes and there's a coach that you know Russell would wouldn't mind playing under or learning their offensive scheme but I would probably say it's either going to be if they don't go for Rodgers then they're probably going to try to raise their own franchise quarterback and it's something that Denver has not been able to do in its entire history as a football team is raise their own franchise quarterback you know from Denver and a lot of people would have you believe that if John Elway was the only guy but unfortunately John Elway wasn't drafted by the Broncos he was traded from the Baltimore Colts to the Broncos so uh unfortunately that does not qualify John Elway as a franchise quarterback and that's something that the Baltimore Colts yeah the Baltimore Colts (laughs) (laughs) and uh and unfortunately that's something that the Broncos have not been able to do and you can see the carousel you can read the names you can do whatever of all the quarterbacks that have hiked the ball ever since Peyton Manning retired in 2015 and it's a long long list guys 
So I would probably that would probably be my guess. If they don't go for Rodgers, they're going to try to find a quarterback in the draft. And I know this coming draft is not big on, you know, big name quarterbacks. But if the Broncos can find a way to move up and see a guy that they like that's on George Payton's draft board, then, you know, they might go for it and, you know, build around there. I mean, hell, the Broncos at this point have 11 draft picks going into the 2022 draft. So anything can happen, Rich. So. I'm going to go a slightly different direction simply because I believe offense, you require both vision and scheme in order to kind of make some of those decisions. So I mentioned earlier about Dalton Reisner looking actually really good as an offensive guard playing in the Scangarello, uh, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan style offense. Well, you put him now in a different running scheme and a different blocking scheme in Shermer or with Shermer, and he doesn't look good at all. So I think it's really, really important that we have a vision for what our offense is going to look like. And then we build our offense around that vision so that we get the right players in the right spots to make us the best potential offense that we can be. So I'm going to shift and saying, while I agree that we need to address the quarterback position and that we need likely a new offensive center and, and a few other uh, you know, guys on the offensive line, just given how we played this, this season, I don't think you do that until you know what you're going to be. My biggest thing is I don't think we're going to move that far off the Vic Fangio defensive scheme, given the fact that so many other teams are copying this scheme throughout the NFL. So I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit to the other side of the ball, and I'm going to go with an interior defensive tackle to replace a guy like Mike Purcell. We've seen some pretty substantive regression from him this year. We have not seen a tremendous amount of uh, double teams that have been sent Mike Purcell's way despite the, his size. And we really do need that interior defensive line push. For those who have seen me comment and, and have heard me comment on here before, uh, that's kind of my pound the table moment as the interior of the defensive line. I would actually have liked to seen us go after Akeem Hicks in the uh, free agent uh, kind of trade deadline market uh, around now. And I also really like the other guy that's on the potential trade block from the Washington football team uh, who had a reasonable game against us uh, this past week. Uh, I had his name handy, but it just left my screen here. But he was a younger guy that, you know, there's been talk that they're not bringing him back, but I thought he played fairly well on the defensive side of the ball. But we need that interior center guy that can kind of get pressure, command double teams, and help our defense out so that guys like Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris uh, can kind of get freed up and and not have uh and and basically end up with direct one-on-ones particularly a guy like shelby harris because he's actually having some slip protections over his way agreed and hopefully that answers your question rich and uh rich uh johnny and rich if you wouldn't mind doing the honors moving us into our next segment well at the end of every game uh we always go ahead and uh we pull up uh and have our ever infamous Mile High Mountain. <laughs> did, did we click on it at the same time? No. Okay. We I, did I, not. Okay, so we have our Mile High Mountain, uh, which is a now infamous segment on the show. And no, that is not me yodeling. I cannot get my voice to go that high. Me neither. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was a, a great, uh, it's a great segment that we introduced to the show, uh, brought in uh, initially uh, by yourself there, six foot 10. 
uh, where we are going to go over uh, those that we feel have hit the summit of that last game, the the major contributors, the ones that we feel really need the honorable mentions. We also have those that are ascending, those that are back at base camp, not so good, and those that we wish we never had on our team altogether, which we have sent on the plane ride home. So I have uh, my picks here, which I will quickly jump into. Mm -hmm. The player that I have that's on the summit from last week's game is Malik Reed. I really felt that Malik Reed stepped it up. I think that he showed um, a great uh, kind of progress from what he's shown us the last few games, where he's able to get pressure despite the fact that some of the coverage was not necessarily in his favor. He was able to get home. He was able to knock the ball out. He had some really good plays. I thought that was excellent. My on the rise is Kenny Young. It was his first game with the Denver Broncos. He was on a condensed week. And man, the fact that you were even able to notice that he was on the field and making plays speaks volumes for the quality of player that Kenny Young is. And he deserves accolades and credit for being able to step up that quickly as a Denver Bronco. My base camp, same position group. Man, has this player ever disappointed me. And I was really looking forward to seeing what he could do this year. And that was Stranad. At this point in the season, I believe I've seen enough of Stranad where he should be basically a pull ripcord or break glass if if there's other injuries. I think we have seen much better play from all of the other inside linebackers that we've had on the team, including the guy that just stepped in this week. And I just believe that he's he's shown that he really needs help and he really needs growth. And, And frankly, if you're at that point in year two, Yes, I realize he was injured last year, but he had all that time to digest the playbook and, and kind of get coached up. Uh, I have not been impressed. And on the plane ride home, Mr. Pat Shermer, uh, he's still employed, and that's a problem for me. Yeah. Uh, you know what? For my my high top, it's got to be Justin Simmons. Simmons. Simmons on top of the summit. The man had two interceptions. He was everywhere he needed to be. He... Is and you know somebody asked this question before uh, we did we jumped into the segment, Rich, about who the new, uh, basically the new leader of the, the defense is now that Vaughn's gone, and that's basically Justin Simmons. He's gonna be the new guy, the guy that's got to get the defense pumped up and ready. And when the defense is down, when the guys aren't feeling, he's got to get them motivated and he's got to put them to play in their, you know, to stay in the mood, to stay in the game, basically. So he's gonna be my top player for the summit. In you know, on the rise or in the middle of the, that summit, I would have to say it's Melvin Gordon. Uh, you know, he did have the fumble, but when you look back at that play, unfortunately, Chase Young came from behind him, so Melvin Gordon didn't see him. So I don't really blame that so much on Melvin because that could have happened to anybody when you get hit from behind, you don't see it coming. A and B, the the Broncos shouldn't have ran the ball on the edge anyway. If you're going to run the ball, you run the ball straight down the middle, you know, just to eat up clock. So I don't blame that much on him. So, uh, but unfortunately it did bring him down a notch because at, he did fumble at the end of the day. Sure. Uh, you know what? And at the base camp, unfortunately guys, I'm going to have to put Teddy Bridgewater down there because even though he did have that one touchdown, this was a game where we needed to see Bridgewater's leadership. We needed to see him being able to, you know, audible and read the defense. You know, obviously he, I think he threw an interception if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, uh, he had he had that one, that, that pick that should have been 
Yeah, the pick that should have been. Yeah. And and honestly, this may have been a very different game if that actually was caught and the guy didn't try to run back to the end zone before he actually caught the ball. Yeah. So unfortunately for me, Bridgewater has not shown a step up in terms of, you know, being the veteran quarterback. When you're the veteran quarterback, you're not supposed to be making mistakes like that. You're supposed to be able to read the defense, take what the defense gives you. And this kind of, he's making these, these, it's kind of like watching Drew Locke out there. You know, Drew Locke is, we were so used to him just, just heaving the ball and just be like, well, hopefully he's open type of things. And that's basically what we're getting from. Johnny, if I had a horn, I'd use it. Cause that's definitely a hot take right there. And uh, for the plane ride home, I have to agree with you, Rich. It's Pat Shermer. Again, oh, yeah. his, his offense is, has been terrible. Not being able to take advantage of uh, Washington defense. That's not all there. That's riddled with injuries and just not playing as good as they should have been. The Broncos should have won by more than just a simple touchdown. So the fact that the defense bailed out Pat Shermer should tell you what the season's going to, what the remainder of the season anyway is going to look like going forward, whether it's Bridgewater or Drew Locke and, Hopefully, Pat Shermer changes it around uh, for the better as we head into the Dallas game. Do you know what, though? Hmm. Even if Shermer doesn't personally change it around for the better, I just want him to be forced to change it around for the better. I, basically, my, my, my theory now is by hook or by crook, change him. <laughs> <laughs> Do something. <laughs> Yeah, guys. So with that being said, hopefully you guys enjoyed our Mile High uh, Mountain segment. And we're going to lead into the next segment of the show, Rich, which is? We're going to go into the Dallas uh, Dallas Cowboys here. And uh, we have a great, great uh, Hot Five segment for you with our Dallas Cowboys fan in true blue. Can't wait to see it. Hey, what's going on, folks? This is True Blue Fan One representing the Dallas Cowboys fan club. Not all of you, I know it. I appreciate you. But here are my takes for this this week's game coming in with the Denver Broncos at home. Sunday, 12 noon Central Time here in Texas. You know, we just came off the win with the, the Minnesota Vikings, and I think the top five things we've got to do to win against the Denver Broncos, as always, is figure out, you know, first of all, who's going to be ready to go as quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Are we going to go ahead and let Dak Prescott rest another, you know, have another week off and let him recoup and help him have, you know, the ability to to rehab that calf injury that he has? Are we going to put Cooper Rush in there? As the Denver Broncos have been playing some good football, but lo and behold, we need to find out first who's going to be quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys this coming week against the Denver Broncos. Once we start going into that, it's going to be very important, you know, to follow up with next running the ball. We really didn't run the ball that much this last game against Minnesota. We got probably 76 to 80 yards running. Zeke was still doing his thing. He got some more reception yards. So running the ball is going to be a must against the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have been playing some good football, as I said. We can't let this be a trap game. That's third. We do not want to let this be a trap game. If we let this be a trap game, it'll be over before we know it because we're coming off that exciting win on Sunday night football. And that's not what we want to do. We don't want this to be a trap game. So that's number three. Four is our interior line of the defense. 
we have to make sure we seal up that middle of the defense. The Denver Broncos have been running the ball very well. We have to seal that up. Cook was able to run. He did not get but 80 yards rushing. Either way, he had some explosive plays. We need to seal up that interior defensive line. Lastly, the biggest concern that I have is Trayvon Diggs on our secondary. He got injured as well. We're going to have to make sure that he has healed, first of all, but we're going to have to do some help to, you know, so he's not so much overloaded with the work on the secondary because, again, the Denver Broncos, we don't want this to be a trap game where the ball's being thrown around because Diggs isn't in there. So that's going to be a big must that the Cowboys secondary step up this game and ensure that they're not always just depending on Diggs to help them out. And those are my five takes. Wow, Rich. I had no idea that uh, Trayvon Diggs was hurt. Unfortunately, I didn't catch the end of the Sunday night football game. Uh, but that could be big going into Sunday if he's not able to suit up and you know be out well, there on the field. Right. It's not just even suiting up. It's even if he's dinged up, right? Like if you're if you're not a hundred percent or if you're you're hurt enough, it can impact your play on the field. So that's a that's a big deal. I just wanted to thank True Blue Fan One for uh, coming on for the Hot Five segment. Uh, you can catch him. All of his social media details are in the description of this video on YouTube. And I also wanted to give a shout out for Hope Kids, which is a charity that he is involved with. We also happen to have uh, a fellow fan of the show or affiliate of the show in Mile High Profit who does work with them as well. That is Hope Kids as a charity. Uh, please check them out and, uh, and give them a look or a donation if you can, if it is within your means. So with regards to the Dallas game, this is really, uh, really interesting in terms of uh, Trayvon Diggs, especially in the fact that he's played so well this season. I've watched my share of, of, of Cowboys games. You can say that's unfortunate or fortunate, depending on which side of the fence you're on. But I've watched my share of Dallas games, and he's had a pretty good season this year. Uh, certainly shown why they picked him and, and, and whatnot. And that could really free up a guy like Tim Patrick, for example, uh, or even a Cortland Sutton, if he is not able to either play, which is, you know, would be better for us, obviously, or if he can play and he's not at 100%, it would certainly allow a, a Tim Patrick or Cortland Sutton to have their routes develop better. Yeah, uh, you know what, guys? It's This game can easily be won if the Broncos actually take advantage of the advantages that are given to them. Basically do what Minnesota on Sunday night football didn't do. They found out almost last minute that Dak Prescott, even though he was on the field warming up, that he was that he was not going to go, that it was going to be Cooper Rush. And to me, it almost feels like the Vikings took it for granted and they paid the heavy price for it and they lost that game that they should have won. So right. the Broncos going on the road, going to Arlington, uh, I think it's Arlington or, or going to Dallas, I should say. Uh, if da if Dak Prescott cannot go, and it doesn't seem like he is rich, because from what we heard from the announcers, they did say that Dak Prescott was going to be gone for a good three to four weeks at the most, and it's Cooper Rush. The Broncos' defense, if they can go out and play as good as they did against Washington, they can pull that upset and they can win this game. 
And just like you said, I totally agree. If Diggs is not 100% to go and he cannot keep up with the likes of Corlin Sutton or Tim Patrick or, or Jerry Judy, then the that Cowboys defense is in really big trouble. Now, one thing that we need to see from Pat Shermer is we need to see him tell his quarterback to spread the love, to spread the ball around. Because Jerry Judy coming back, you could almost tell he wasn't back because he only had like two targets, I think, all of last game. So he needs to be incorporated into the new offensive <laughs> offensive plan. And, and the boss, of course, coming in and saying, not to be rude, but who the hell is Cooper Rush? Cooper Rush well, well, is... First off, he has one of the better names in the NFL. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. But <laughs> uh, aside from that, he's also a backup quarterback. The Cowboys let go and then brought back intentionally to be their number two quarterback on their team. Uh, clearly they really like him otherwise they would have just you know shown him the door and then brought anybody else in really uh but let's be real he won a game right it is not easy to win in the nfl you are one of 32 as a starter in the nfl in any given week uh, in the world and on top of that he beat a pretty good team not a great team not an amazing team but a pretty good team in the minnesota vikings and that, that's nothing to uh, snuff, uh, to just you know snuff off and just say uh, don't worry about it. So it's clear that he can hold his own. Yeah, and Johnny Baki coming in with a really good point here, Rich. He says, but we have to. I mean, we have to put up more than 17 points. Low scoring will not win this game, even if the defense is stout. And I that's and that's I totally agree with you, Johnny. Especially on the road, because winning a road game is the hardest thing to do in this league. And I mean, 17 to 10, you can win a football game like that at home because you have the home field advantage, which the Broncos did, especially with the Broncos offense not playing as good as they should have been. That game should not have been that close, Rich, as I keep reiterating during this podcast. So basically, this is almost a statement game, Rich. If the Broncos can go out there and shut that Dallas offense, not just shut the Dallas offense down, but put up points and leave Dallas with not just a W, but just basically a statement saying that the Broncos are maybe not the best team in the AFC, but they are far from down and out. It's not the end of the season like a lot of people are saying just because Von Miller is no longer with this team. This is basically a statement game because we're heading towards the middle of the season where there is very little room for error in terms of trying to figure out, are we an offensive team? Are we a defensive team? Are we a little bit of both? And, and Johnny Bucky putting up another good point. Dallas puts up 35 points per game on average. They do. Right. right. But, if, but that's when they face defenses that are not as great as the Broncos defense should be. If the Broncos defense was as great as it should be on paper, they, would not, they wouldn't come near to putting 35 points this game. So to me, even if it is Cooper Rush uh, starting Rich, we cannot take him for granted. We cannot take that lightly. The Broncos defense, if they turn the ball over, if they get an interception, they force a fumble, the offense has to take advantage of it. They have to come back out with a touchdown, not settle for a field goal, and even worse, not turn the ball over and not get any points back on the board. Right. The one thing I need to look up for Dallas is um, their red zone percentage. I wasn't able to look up that before the pod uh, and, and take a look at that. For example, uh, the Washington football team has a fairly poor red zone uh, conversion percentage. Uh, if you remember our hot five from last week, mm -hmm. 
from the On the Warpath uh, podcast there, uh, focusing on the Washington football team. Uh, we had a great comment there about one of the points that Washington had to do better against us. And it was actually one thing that they did not do better against us, which is the red zone conversion percentages of the Washington football team. They they struggled in previous games leading up to our game, and they continued to struggle against us. In fact, there was at least five to seven red zone trips that the Washington football team made that resulted in no points. So imagine if even half of those were converted into any points, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown, and they were not. So those are big deals when it comes to uh, a game. So then, so then the question really comes to, can the Broncos put out a similar performance against the Dallas Cowboys and hold off the red zone trips and either prevent points or limit the points that the Dallas Cowboys have. Now, to your point earlier, though, the, the really interesting thing that I think we need to be very careful of and cautious of as a Broncos team is our secondary was initially meant to be or thought to be, at the very least, a strength of this football team. We uh, seemingly had uh, you know, several options, and we are going to be without our top cornerback, in my opinion, uh, in Bryce Callahan this week because he has been put on short-term IR. So the one thing that I am genuinely concerned about is uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, receiver C.D. Lamb, who has proven to be a an excellent pickup uh, in the draft by the Dallas Cowboys, because I'm not convinced that we're going to have enough guys or the right guys on our team to properly stop him. And if Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott, whomever is starting at quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys this coming weekend, is able to get in a rhythm with a guy like C.D. Lamb, I think this could be a long game. I'm actually more worried about guarding Cedric Wilson there because especially it's starting to look like Cooper Rush is going to be the starting quarterback, Rich. And what we saw from Sunday night, Cooper Rush and Cedric Wilson seem pretty much on point almost every single time they connected. And that's because they spend so much time at practice, you know, playing as number twos. So while CD Lamb, I do agree with your your statement on CD Lamb being you know dangerous and effective in the in in the in that offense, but if you spend too much time looking at him and you underlook the other guys, who just because their names are not as big as the others, they're the ones that that'll burn you, and that's exactly what Wilson did to that Vikings defense. So you know the Broncos defense, they're going to have their work cut out for them and trying to keep eyes on everybody and trying to keep up with them. But if this front this front seven is also going to have their work cut out for them because that Dallas offensive line, while it's not as formidable as it used to be, Rich, it's still good enough to keep even somebody like Cooper Rush long enough standing upright in the pocket to make a play. And Ezekiel Elliott, I'm not worried so much about him because we've seen that Kenny Young and Baron Browning, you know, knock on wood, they can stay healthy during that entire uh, game and for the whole season at that they can bottle up somebody like Ezekiel Elliott because they kept Antonio Gibson to a very limited uh, run this this past week. And that was very, very good to see. So, uh, and Zeke has been on the decline. So I don't see the Dallas Cowboys leaning so much towards the running game. They might use Zeke in more of a passing and, you know, trying to get the conversion, which is what Zeke has been doing more of so far this season. Uh, what we saw last game, which I, I have to say I was super impressed with, which is what we used to see Vaughn do in kind of years past, and we see we saw him do it a few a few times this year, but just not as many as in the past. Um, which was getting into the backfield from the edge, but then leveraging that position in the backfield to help stop the run as a result of that backfield penetration. 
Uh, we saw both Malik Reed and Jonathan Cooper, which was really nice to see because he struggled with that in previous games, get into the backfield, but leverage that backfield penetration and actually prevent the run game from developing for the Washington football team. I'd like to see a little bit more of that against Dallas because I think that can be a strength for us. Uh, I was very, very impressed with Malik Reed uh, showing that extra fire uh, the past game against the Washington football team. That being said, he did go against a, uh, at least many times, a backup right tackle. So it will be interesting to see if the level of competition will impact his ability to get into the backfield. And uh, it seems like we, we have a, a number of uh, folks that are uh, back in grade school or high school uh, in the chat today. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when it comes to those types of things, I think our edge rushers can help in the run game and help defend the run game. And that can really be a benefit to us, particularly considering if you remember the four game loss that we went on, that kind of four game lo a losing streak. The teams ran the ball on us and it was almost it was pretty embarrassing actually as a Broncos fan watching that happen because we ran into that first game uh, and we we were like ranked in the top three or something like that or top four in terms of run defense uh, after our first three wins and then by the end of those those last four game uh, losing streaks I think we averaged something like 120 yards rushing against us or something like that which is uh, not a good thing. Yeah and Glenn brings up a good point here Zeke and Pollard are way better than Gibson. And he's right. But yeah. Pollard, out of those three, Pollard is actually better than Z. When Pollard gets the ball, he goes out and he gets yardage. He rarely ever gets stuff. So I'm actually worried about, excuse me, I'm actually worried about the Broncos trying to keep Pollard, you know, bottled up and in play. And basically just the, that whole Kellen Moore playbook is should be something to not take for, for granted because so far Kellen Moore has done a fantastic job as an offensive coordinator and you know, if, if he keeps up the way it is, he's going to have teams knocking on his door in terms of, you know, a possible head coaching head coach. job, you know, and, you know, it, it could be Denver being one of those suitors. So, but, you know, guys, just to kind of, uh, you know, wrap up this whole segment, what the Broncos need to do to win this game is the defense has to play just as stout as they did last week, if not better. The offense obviously has to get better. Teddy Bridgewater has to take advantage of whatever that defense gives him in terms of gifts. If Trayvon Diggs cannot play their best corner, I would say, he needs to target whoever it is that's going to replace him. Because whether it's Judy, whether it's Corlin Sutton, both of those guys, even Tim Patrick, if he's in the slot, either one of those three guys can more than, like, more than easily handle whoever the backup is. And just and get back to the running game. I mean, I don't know why it is that Pat Shermer relies so much away from the running game. Even when the Broncos are either tied or ahead, he still shies away from it. And, you know, Melvin Gordon, a lot of people thought he was going to be traded, and unfortunately he isn't. So that means he's going to play the remainder of his time here in Denver. So you might as well get some use out of that $8 million, you know. And Javante Williams, while he did have a fumble this past week, he's still a really good running back and he's still a rookie at the same time so he's learning ball security is something that obviously he's going to have to work on and hell that's something that both running backs have to work on but i have more faith in javante williams running the ball than i do melvin gordon at this point but i just want to see melvin gordon do it because they're the broncos are paying him a lot more money to actually do it and get points what you actually hinted at here which is going to be super interesting mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we've seen it far too many times this, this season, so I'm I'm reluctant to say it aloud because I'm afraid I might jinx it. So uh, I'm going to 
hedge my bet and hopefully it doesn't happen which is what true blue fan one just said there was that one of the challenges the cowboys have seemingly had this season is uh stopping the runs right up the middle of the field so the uh interior of their defensive line has struggled a little bit with some of the runs up, up the, at the middle of the field in, in a Pat Schirmer offense, that seems to be where he likes to run the ball, which is uh, just in that center of, of the offensive line there. So if we can win some of those defensive line blocks with the interior of our offensive line, which I, I realize is a bit of a tall order, Javante Williams has shown that he is very difficult to bring down. And Melvin Gordon had a really good game against that Washington football team in terms of his runs. So if we can show that the run game can get us five or six yards a carry or even 4.5 or four yards a carry, uh, that is excellent yardage in the run game. And that can really extend the clock for us. That can extend drives. That can keep our defense fresh. That can allow us to make proper adjustments and those types of things. Now, the question is, even if we go that far and we go that route, is Pat Shermer going to continue to try and get cute? And is he going to try and say, well, yes, that worked, but now I'm going to try something different? Because that seems to be his MO thus far. Run games worked, and then he pivots away from it because he wants to see if he can throw the ball, you know, 30 times a game. Yeah, and and whatever it is that they thought was the right answer towards that Washington game, towards the end of that Washington game, they need to get the hell away from that because that is what they did there is exactly what I do in Madden. Okay, when I play Madden, that's exactly what I do. I should be, I should take a knee, but for some stupid reason, I decided to run the ball, and then something dumb like that happened. No, but and we needed a first down there to hold them off. There's a little bit too no. much time on the clock. My understanding is we needed that first down, and that's why they tried to do it. No, I know, I know why they tried to do it, but the way they did it was not the right way. Like I said, no, they the didn't ball, run up the middle. Yeah, they should have yeah. ran up the middle, but right. like they tried to do something cute, which is run around the edge, right? You know, which is something like I said that I would do when I play Madden. So, you know, they basically, when it comes to kill the clock, and I can't believe I have to say this, coaching staff needs to learn how to kill the clock. Are you the saying real life is Madden? It's, well, uh, if you look at that game, uh, apparently not, because if, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for the fact that we didn't turn the ball over almost twice, and, you know, had to, had to, have, the, blah, blah, had to have the defense go out there and keep them from the offense throwing the game away, you know, we'd be sitting here talking about a whole type of different uh, result from that game. So just basically, if you have the lead, keep the lead, keep it safe. Try to get as close as you can to field goal range as you can without turning the ball over. And, you know, hopefully not inspire McManus, who, let me remind you, folks, is the very last player from the Super Bowl 50 era left from trying to, you know, hit a 66-yard field goal and break that Justin Tucker record from uh, a month ago uh and it's the uh johnny baki saying uh we didn't need the first that play pat that pass play on second was a ridiculous choice uh brian saying that play alone set the tone for the next play call which was the fumble it was a train wreck and a bad indecision right but to, to your point there the runs to the outside were were what really made those runs uh risky and and frankly resulted in uh, as you mentioned earlier that that punch out from behind uh on melvin gordon uh, in that on that run play there now the javante williams one i think was kind of more on javante to be quite honest in terms of how he's holding the ball he's not had those issues so far this season so i hope not to see that as a trend but nonetheless in in, in plays like that you need to run right up the middle 
you need to block properly and you need to try and get that extra first down to just kneel out the rest of the game uh, i i'm i'm i've heard from too many people that we needed that first down on that drive I am happy to be wrong and I'm happy for them to be wrong. I'm simply going off of the information that I had there given the amount of time that was left and the fact that you run the risk on like a Hail Mary play sort of thing at the end. Now, that being said, Simmons intercepted both Hail Mary plays and passes there in that game. So, you know, we've clearly had success against the football team, uh, Washington football team on, on those plays earlier in the game. But nonetheless, you don't want to give people the opportunity. Yeah, and also shout out, and I forgot to mention as an honorable mention when we were doing a Mahai uh, Mountain segment, Rich, shout out to PS2 who kept McLaurin in check for most of the game. You know, usually McLaurin is the guy that gets away and makes these huge good. plays and keeps, and keeps Washington in that game. And He's PS2 was able to keep him in check for most of the game. And while McLaurin did have a couple of plays, it wasn't anything significant where it, it gave not Washington not just the lead, but, you know, kept them in the game. So PS2 is starting to come into his own. He's starting to be his own car- his own cornerback, his own man, right in front of Broncos country's eyes. So he was a great selection. And, you know, thankfully he's in a scheme where they're using him to the best of his ability. And he's only going to get better as we go along. So uh, with that said, guys, uh, Rich and I are going to wrap up today's episode uh, podcast episode. We would like to thank everybody in the chat today for coming out tonight and watching us live. If you're listening to us after the fact on audio, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to us every single week talk about our favorite team, the Denver Broncos. And I just want to remind you guys that if you like today's show, please make sure to give us a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications so that you get live updates and news whenever any single episode goes live like yesterday if you were subscribed you would have gotten a live notification that there was an emergency podcast episode and you would have caught it so make sure you turn on live notifications subscribe so that you can watch us here on broncos talk that airs every single tuesday at 7654 with myself and at richie richie also don't forget to tune in on thursdays for the flagship show the mhrt podcast with the boss mundungus our good friend Glenn Doogie Hauser, Mr. Boggins himself, and of course, myself as well. And on Fridays, we have the Nothing Rhymes with Orange and Blue podcast with our good friend Johnny Baki, who you saw in the chat here today, and his co-host Isaiah Washington, uh, Henderson, sorry, I say Washington, Isaiah Henderson. And of course, our brand new show, which is The Neighborhood, the pregame show that airs just before every single Broncos game. And it, it we always have a different panel of Broncos uh, MHRT members that are on there. Sometimes we have special guests that are able to come on and just talk football and give us the insight as to what's going on for that game. So make sure you guys subscribe, turn on the thumbs up, turn on notifications so that you never miss a single moment of it. So with that being said, Rich and I are going to head out. But before we do, we need to do everybody's favorite, favorite, and I mean favorite part of the show, which is the my high five. For those of you that don't know what the Ma High Five is, you hold your hands out, you yell out Ma High Five, and you clap them over your hand. It's that easy. So feel free to join us. Rich, are you ready? Good to go. All right, here we go. Ma High Five! <laughs> Woo! Guys, thank you much, so much for tuning in. Make sure you come back and join us next week. Until then, have a good night. Go Broncos. Hasta luego. Hasta <laughs> luego.